Welcome to the Buford Sermons Podcast, where we care about the things you care about. For more information or to donate to this ministry, please visit www.fbcbuford.org. I want you to grab your seat and turn with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, as we kick off this new year. We, um, as a staff, have taken opportunities uh, in recent years not to redefine who we are because we have always had the same commission, always had the same command as a church. The church doesn't need to redefine who we are or what God's called us to do, but there are times we need to restate who we are, that we need to give some clarity and, and, and really uh, work through how we better communicate to our community and those who we're seeking to serve who we are. And so we've spent the better part of the last couple of years as a staff just praying through that and and asking God to to show us and to give us wisdom with how we move forward. If you were with us, and many of you weren't with us during this time, and and um, but if you were with us uh, when we first came back out of the first little quarantine with COVID and all of that stuff, and uh, when we came back in June of 2020. If you were here with us, you remember that we eliminated the letters R-E from our vocabulary. We didn't want to regather. We didn't want to relaunch. We didn't want to reopen. We didn't want to re-anything. Because we had a very clear understanding from looking at our community, from paying attention to our culture, uh, from looking at other churches, that churches that were going to spend a lot of time trying to reopen, trying to reestablish things, probably weren't going to do very well, at least in our context. Because the reality was church life wasn't going to ever go back to how it was in this age that we now call pre-COVID, right? That it's just different. Culture's different. People are different. Church is different, and so we didn't read anything. We launched all new things, and God has blessed incredibly. Man, we've seen dozens baptized, and we've gotten to celebrate new life, and we've got families across our room, even this morning, who God has sent us and are serving within our church. We've got new families that are here uh, that, that God is connecting us to. God has done such incredible things. And in the midst of that, we're constantly asking the questions, how do we better communicate who we are? How do we better communicate to our community, to our city, who we are? How do we better communicate even to the world who we are and what the mission God called us to be a part of is? And so in doing that, we want to take the next several weeks. There's going to be a break or two in the middle of that. But we want to take the next several weeks and walk through who we are. Because in order for us to communicate effectively who we are to our community, we had to identify who we are and who people, what people see us as. We had to identify the things that make us unique as a church. And so if you're a first-time guest with us or you've just checked us out a couple of times... The next several weeks are are great opportunities for you to come and hear who we are. We met as a staff and talked about this. We asked many of you guys to answer some questions for us. We brought in professionals to sit down with us and help us learn how to communicate the things that make us unique, the things that are distinctives when it comes to us here 
at Buford. And so we're going to walk through some of those in the next several weeks. What do people view us as? How do people see us and who are we really? And as we were sitting down and meeting, Pastor Jared and I first met with um, this lady named Kim Meyer and then a website guy and she had done some research and we had done some research and she had researched our community and some of you guys had answered some questions for her and we began talking through just kind of who we are as a church. And we kind of landed on part of this definition of who we are, these two words, we care. Because we really are a place that cares. And I believe every church cares and says they care and probably genuinely does care, but God has positioned us to care uniquely. We're a place that it keeps coming back in my head years ago when a young lady said out in our lobby that this is the place where our community always seems to end up when they're hurting. Those who are a part of our church and those who aren't. And so we identified these five truths, these five things that we as a church really care about. And so you're going to hear those and we're going to walk through those and we're going to start this morning with this idea of family, that we are a family here. That the reality is that's part of why the fountains are here. We came to Buford in 2011 because my wife God laid it on her heart first, and then he very clearly laid it on my heart. We very plainly and clearly had this strong desire to be a part of a family. Now, I've got my family, right? My fountain family that's all a little bit crazy and loud, and she's got her family that's not crazy and loud, and so it creates great opportunities for her to make fun of my family because her family's normal and my family's not quite as normal. We've got those families, but we really wanted to be a part of a family, a church family, a community where we could raise our kids and we could do life with people. And at the time when we were in our 20s, we could stay at friends' houses until 2 o'clock in the morning playing games. And we don't do that anymore because we're old and we need our sleep. But a place where if I knew my kids weren't with me, they were with somebody, right? A place where people would see me as... Yeah, Pastor Stephen, but they would also see me and my family as Stephen and Aaron. And not Emma and Drake, just as the pastor's kids, but they would see them as Emma. The sweet, beautiful, little blonde-haired, sixth-grade girl who I looked at the other day and she looked like she was 17 and it really wigged me out. But they would just see her as Emma, the little girl who loves cheer and who has a unique a unique love for people and sensitivity to what's happening around her. And that they would see Drake as Drake and all that Drake entails. If you don't know Drake, don't worry about it. Oh, the little long curly-headed wild one who struggles sitting through a worship service just like your kid does. Who frustrates his daddy just like your kid does, probably more who kept me awake last night because he heard imaginary thunder when there was no thunder, crawled into my bed. I said, Drake, there is no thunder. Oh, well, I want to stay here anyway. Stayed in my bed, kept me awake until there actually was thunder, and so I got no sleep last night. We wanted to be a part of a family, a place where when Aaron's 
anxiety ramped up. She knew she had people she could call who would love her and pray for her. And so here at Buford, one of the distinctives of who we are is that we care about each other. And it's really that simple of a statement. We care about and desire to care about each other. And we see this reflected in the early church in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. Some incredible things that happened in the early church here. As a matter of fact, the most incredible things that happened, right? The disciples were hanging out in the upper room. They were waiting. They had been given their commission, the great command that they would be Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. They would begin there in Jerusalem and reach those people with the gospel. And he said, go hang out. Wait on me. I'll give you a sign. And as they're hanging out, uh, all of the God-fearing uh, Jews had come to Jerusalem to worship. And as they're hanging out in the upper room, the Holy Spirit comes down like tongues of fire. It's this crazy scene, right? And Peter and the disciples go out. And Peter begins preaching to these 3,000. And the disciples begin going through the crowd and teaching and talking to these people. And these people are from all over the world with all of these different languages. And this crazy, miraculous thing happens. They begin understanding what all of these guys from Galilee are saying in their own language. It would be like if, if you're in the room today and you spoke, uh, somebody spoke Spanish over here and somebody spoke German in the middle and somebody spoke French on this side and I got up and preached in my South Alabamian and they all understood exactly what I was saying. That was what was happen, happening. And the Bible says that as they preached the hope of Jesus, some 3,000 people trusted in Christ, some 3,000 Jews beginning right there in Jerusalem. Listen, that's significant, and we'll get to that in several weeks. But God used his disciples to reach the world beginning in their own city. 3,000 of them trusted Christ. And then we get to verse 42, and we see how they begin to care for one another. And we're going to walk through these quickly this morning. So I need you to listen fast. Listen, I'm not going to hit every detail of everything in this text. This is really just a Cliff's Notes, very, very uh, outlined picture of what we care about here when it comes to how we care about each other. But beginning in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, here's what Luke writes. It says, they devoted themselves, the 3,000 who had trusted in Jesus, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. As we look at this picture of the early church... There are some parallel truths here that were true of the early church that I believe are distinctively and uniquely true of us here at Buford. And if they aren't as true as they should be, I pray they will be true. 
as they cared about each other, there's some things we learn about prayerfully ourselves. One, we care about studying with each other. Part of caring about each other is the care about studying with each other. Now, I don't like the word studying necessarily in my own life, right? I wasn't a great student in high school. I didn't study very well in high school. God had to bring me to a point of maturity where I would finally recognize that I needed to read and needed to study. Sometimes when we hear about, we care about studying with each other, you picture yourself seated around, seated around a table at some coffee shop studying for your big, you know, uh, trig test or studying for your U.S. history test or sometimes Sometimes when you say, when I say we care about studying with each other, some of you, uh, your minds go back to college and you hanging out in a student center till three o'clock in the morning because you didn't start studying for that final until the day before. Like you remember those types of studying together and it doesn't really sound exciting. But when I look at the early church, the Bible says that they devoted themselves to the apostles Teaching. Now, there's something unique about the apostles' teaching there. They had a unique apostleship assigned to them because these apostles had walked with Jesus. They had personally heard from Jesus. They had physically stood with Jesus. And so they spoke with a unique authority. It was their words that God would speak through them that would, many of them, be translated as or be written down as the word of God for us. And what this tells us is that the early believers, the early church, They cared for one another in the sense that they would gather together and they would study and hear from the word of God together. See, that's what makes us unique as a church, right? Any group of people can sit down next to each other. Any group of people can find something in common and cheer for the same team together or the same sport together or the same movies together. You can work at the same job together. You can learn your craft together. But when we really care about each other here, we care about hearing uniquely and supernaturally from our creator in heaven and growing in the knowledge of him and his word together. You see, everything we do here in our care for one another must be centered around the word of God. Part of caring about studying with each other is humbling yourself under the teaching of those who God has called to teach and to preach. That's not to elevate, but is to recognize that when I come here on a Sunday morning, this church cares about me and cares about my knowledge of the Word of God and cares about me growing in the Word of God and growing in the truth of the Word of God. So... I'm going to listen absolutely. I'm going to listen with a discerning ear. And I'm going to pray that God reveals to me if Stephen oops says something that maybe wasn't right. Or God reveals to me if somebody says something that gets off track from the truth of God's word. But I'm also going to come trusting that God has uniquely called these people, these men who love God, who love you, who love God's word, to open God's word and to preach and to speak God's word into your life. And I'm going to make it a big deal to study God's word with other believers because God's word is sufficient for me because God's word is all that I have to guide me I'm going to believe that part of our caring for one another here at First Baptist Buford is that we elevate nothing to the level of the word of God there is no leadership book 
that is needed to better understand the Word of God. There is no theory or idea that is needed to better understand the Word of God. There is no cultural wisdom that is needed to better understand the Word of God, that God's Word is sufficient. We care about studying it together, corporately in worship, together as couples and as a family and as kids in our life groups, together with these men and these ladies in our lead groups, the Bible studies that we started last semester that we're going to kick off again in the next several weeks. We care about studying with each other because we want to encourage one another to grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and in our walk with Him. But we also care, if we look at Acts chapter 2, about seeing each other. The Bible says that these men, these people, these men and ladies, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, listen, and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. If you continue reading, it says that every day in verse 46, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. The early church recognized, listen, that they had heard a message that was countercultural. That they had heard a message of hope about the Messiah having come, having died, having risen from the dead. That they had heard a message about forgiveness. They had heard a message about peace that the world wouldn't understand. That they had heard a message that was unique, had never been heard. And that others wouldn't understand. That others wouldn't fully get. And so what did they do? They committed as they studied the word of God together as they sat under the apostles teaching and they learned more about who Jesus was and who Jesus is they recognized the great need to simply be together hear this about our church here at Buford we desire to have a family full of people who cares about each other so much that we make it a priority to gather together. We live in a world that that says that we recognize we need relationship but continues to provide ways for us to avoid it, don't we? We got a new toy for Christmas. This toy was not delivered to our house in a red bag. This toy was very clearly and plainly bought by mom and dad as a gift for the kids. Full credit. My wife and some of my friends, one of my friends even posted on social media that this toy was really a gift for Stephen that I allow my kids to play occasionally. We got an Oculus for Christmas. Have you ever played one of those? It's incredible. I can, look, I shouldn't say this, but occasionally a pastor needs to punch somebody. It's much better if he punches somebody that's virtual than somebody that's real, right? I love boxing on the Oculus. I love playing Beat Saber 
I love watching my friends, the guy sitting behind me, walking on a plank on the Oculus and scared to death that he's going to fall through his living room floor. Listen. But as I was playing it, I had the thought and I've verbalized it to Aaron and some of our friends. I love this thing. It's so much fun. I can play ping pong. I can actually like, you can make the ping pong ball spin and it's so much fun. I've got a a hitting simulator for Drake and for me. I mean, you can see 90 mile an hour fastballs and splitters and sinkers and change-ups. Like, it's incredible. But I remember making the statement that as much as I love it for our family, it kind of makes me a little bit sad because I think of that middle schooler who really struggles making friends and doesn't really like being in crowds because they really feel like they don't fit and we've just provided them this thing for them to separate from everybody and be by themselves while they're in this virtual world with everything at their fingertips. I was at a friend of ours house who's members of our church on Wednesday and this guy has served with the North American Mission Board and he's good friends with the president of the International Mission Board has served in uh, all these national levels in church life and we took our oculus over there and let he and his son play it and i wish i had a video of him boxing it was one of the best things you'll ever see but we sit down and he goes stephen don't you think that one day this headset you hold in your hand will be what people use to replace going to church i hadn't thought of it but it really will be Because I can put that thing on and Emma's got this dancing game and this is not me encouraging you to go to dance clubs unless they're in your living room. But you put this thing on and it's like you're in the middle of a dance club. Like there's these people dancing around you and there's this person in front of you trying to show you how to dance like they dance. And while it's on your face, you really think you're dancing like they're dancing until you see the video that your mean spouse took of you after it's over. I said, man, I can picture it, people sitting on their couch and putting this headset on and really feeling like they're in the room, looking at the worship leader as the worship leader makes eye contact with them, listening to the preacher as the pastor even makes a direction towards them, looking to their right and to their left and seeing people sitting there taking notes, picturing this image of somebody sitting there in this virtual world, feeling like they're with everybody else, feeling good about themselves because they're hearing the preached word, feeling good about themselves because maybe they're even singing together. The sounds on these things is the sound on these things is incredible, feeling like they've accomplished something and then it ends and they take the headset off and there's nobody around. And we've created this world where we think, and you've heard people say it before, I can walk with Jesus, I don't need the church. I can read my Bible, I don't need the church. And we've created this world where our faith is so individualized that we think it's something that we do on our own. When the reality is this, your faith is your faith and you must own your faith. And you knowing somebody that's a believer doesn't make you a believer. And your grandmama being a believer doesn't make you a believer. And you going to church doesn't make you a believer believer but listen to me there is no point in history no point in God's word no point in the history of the church when following Jesus is something that you do by yourself we care about seeing you hear this promise from your pastor 
all this stuff starting to ramp up again and I care about being healthy and I don't want people to get sick. I will fight tooth and nail to make sure we are gathering in person for the rest of our existence because it is that big of a deal. These believers had just had their world changed. They had heard about Jesus having risen from the dead. They had heard about this new life. They had heard about eternity. And they made it a priority to gather together. Now, hear me if you're watching online. Thank you for watching me online. Even if you're in your PJs, sitting in your living room with your cup of coffee, I love you. Keep watching. But it works better when you actually come when you can. It just does. Because that's how God wired us. Because when we gather together, you know what? Please hear this statement with so much. Please hear this statement with as much love as I possibly have for you. As I could possibly have for you. The one who claims to be a follower of Christ and says, I can be a follower of Jesus and I can be a part of the church, but I don't have to actually go and be a part of the church. Watching online is enough for me. Watching virtually in some crazy headset is enough for me. Being there with the other people that are a part of my church family is not a big deal to me. That is the one who is essentially saying, I don't really care about the others who God has called out with me. That is when we say, this is mine and mine alone. We care about each other by showing up. When you show up and you smile at somebody, that human smile and that hug and that high five and that fist bump and that handshake, you have no idea what that may do for that person that day. When you show up and there's that person who was questioning coming, they didn't really want to be here, they didn't really want to come, they had other things to do, but then they walked in the room and they saw you and their facial expression changed. When you show up and that pastor had a rough weekend and had a bad night last night and didn't get enough sleep and was really, really tired waking up this morning and just didn't feel great. Not sick, didn't feel great, but just didn't feel great. Just didn't, I mean, had other things that would have rather been doing. And even though God had uniquely called him to open God's word, he just kind of struggled and got up out of uh, just uh, out of obligation, not out of desire, but then shows up and he sees your face and you're the one that he sees and goes I'm so glad they're here this morning and you completely change his day we show up we gather together now listen I'm not advertising that we go back to what we used to do in the 1990s all right you remember those days I remember in the early 2000s when I'd serve on church staff when I served on church staff, we had Sunday school on Sunday morning. We had worship on Sunday morning. We had choir practice on Sunday afternoon. We had discipleship training after choir practice. We had worship on Sunday night. We had visitation on Tuesday night. We had church on Wednesday night. We had some other event on Thursday or Friday night. And then we started all over again on Sunday. Y'all remember those days? Whew. I was tired. I remember telling Aaron... 
Man, the church does a really good job of taking Sunday and completely separating the family, don't they? You remember that? Some of you had little kids. You got up, you'd get to church early in the morning, you'd drop your kids off in the nursery, you'd go to your Sunday school class, you'd go to worship, you'd pick your kids up out of the nursery, you'd go eat lunch. By the time you got home, it was time for them to go take a nap. You'd lay them down, they'd take a nap. Then you had to get them up from their nap too soon. They were grumpy and their face was red and their hair was messy and they might have smelt a little funny, but you had to get back to the church. So you got them up out of their nap, you went back to church, you dropped them off in the nursery again, you went to choir practice, discipleship, training, worship, the meeting you had after worship, you took them, you ate dinner at like eight o'clock on a Sunday night, you took them home, you put them to bed, you woke up Monday morning and you thought, did I even see my kids yesterday? You remember those days? I'm not advocating for that. My wife wouldn't let me advocate for that. Listen, we're not going to program you to death, but as hard as some of that was and as much as maybe it doesn't fit with the culture we live in today, hear me. There was something sweet about seeing your church family regularly wasn't there. There was something sweet about them being your family. And so while we're not going to program you to death, and we don't feel like it's our job to be your family's calendar planning station, we are going to unashamedly encourage you. If Jesus has truly changed your heart and you care about each other the way my Jesus cared about you when he gave his life on a cross, listen, we will unashamedly encourage you. You need to show up and see each other. You know how big of a deal it is in my family? You're the pastor. It's supposed to be a big deal. Well, yes. Sunday mornings are. Wednesday nights are. But you know my wife in the fall did almost every Sunday night. She would show up sometime between five and six to serve in student ministry, lead a seventh grade girls, small group, worship with the students and Pastor Corwin lead the small group. And then almost every week she would jump in her car. I would get Emma and take care of her and Drake and get them in bed so that Aaron at eight o'clock on a Sunday night before she had to start her week as a teacher on Monday morning could rush to Julianne Beasley's house to sit in the living room with a bunch of other ladies who love Jesus and who are a part of her church family so that she could just be together and study the word of God and know these ladies as a family knows one another. We care about each other. We care about studying with each other. We care about seeing each other. I'm going to put the next two together and fly through this. We care about serving each other. Go ahead and write that down because it's going to disappear in just a minute. While we care about serving each other, we care about sharing with each other. I love this part of the early church. The Bible says they devoted themselves to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. It says that the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Listen, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They served one another. 
They were constantly inviting others over so that they could eat together. The people who had means and had a little bit more food and more money would invite those who didn't have means and didn't have quite as much food to eat. They would invite them into their homes and they wouldn't treat them as someone who was less than. They would serve them as an honored guest and they would eat together with them. This breaking of bread was a picture of two things in this text. One, it was a picture of the Lord's Supper. They would constantly remember the the death of Jesus, his broken body, his shed blood, but then they would also have these meals together that they saw as a spiritual thing, a supernatural thing, as a connecting thing. It was a sign of their care for one another. They would serve each other in any way they would could, and they would share together. The Bible says that they would sell their properties and then give the money they made off of the sale of their properties and items and goods. They would give it to the leaders of the church or they would just give that straight to others who were part of the family and who were in need. Now, there's something unique and specific you've got to see about this in this life. This is not advocating for some command that the believers sell everything and pool all of our resources, all every bit of our resources uh, based off of some command so that we can then take care of each other and nobody is more wealthy than the other and nobody is more poor than the other. That was a great desire of the Jewish community at this time. It was a desire that they would live in this idealistic world where there was no poverty and nobody was more poor than anybody else. But listen, there's nowhere in the New Testament church where it is commanded that they sell their possessions and they, uh, they sell their possessions and then pool all of that and, and give to those who have need. This wasn't done out of a command. It was done out of care. It wasn't something that Peter got up and said, you've got to do this. As a matter of fact, when Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of their property and then said, we gave all that we, we made off the sale of this property to the, to the church, and they lied about it. They didn't really give all that they made. They just gave a portion of it, and it was a big deal that they lied about what they give, such a, gave. It was such a big deal that they were both struck dead, right? They weren't struck dead because they didn't give all that they made off of the sale of their property. They were struck dead because of the attitude of their hearts, because they lied about it, and they wanted credit for giving all that they had made off of the sale of their property. As a matter of fact, they were actually told, Ananias was actually told, why are you lying about this? Do you think you can lie to God? This was yours to give. In other words, you didn't have to give this. Ananias could have sold this property and not given anything. And that was between him and the Lord. It was his business. And Ananias could have sold his property and he could have said, hey, I sold my property. I made $100,000 off of it. I'm giving $10,000 of the $100,000 that I made to the church. I'm giving $10. And he'd have been okay because it wasn't commanded of him. It was just something that they did. It was a generous care for one another. That they would give and take care of each other. Because of what Jesus had done in their heart and in their life. And I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that serves one another and that shares with one another when there's great need. If you've been here for any amount of time, you might recognize I don't get up every week and beg you to give. I don't get up every week and try to guilt you into giving and tell you if you don't give a certain amount, you're not as spiritual as anybody else. That's just not me. I can't do it. I don't have to because you're a generous people because if God has truly transformed your heart you're going to be faithful and you're going to see the need and you're going to give I know you are we've got a family 
The family had visited, has been to our church and worshiped with us numerous times. The older brother worships with our students on Sunday nights, the best night of the week. And the little brother, nine-year-old kid, diagnosed with AML, acute myeloid leukemia. He's fighting for his life. We learned from our other friends who are a part of this family who have walked through this, that one of the great needs, one of the great blessings for a family in a time like that, you don't know what to do. You can't make their life easier. You can't make it go away. But one of the great blessings are DoorDash or Uber Eats gift cards, especially when you have another kid at home, a teenage kid at home. So while mom and dad are trying to be with their nine-year-old son, there's this other teenage kid and these other kids at home. And so she can feed them and feed her family. And we provided for them a smaller gift card. And she saw me at a prayer thing we had for them. And she said, Stephen, you have no idea how big of a blessing that was for me to be able to feed my 10th grade son while I'm at the hospital with my nine-year-old who's fighting for his life. I said, was it that big of a deal for you? She says, Stephen, we're still using it. It's incredible. Thank you so much. This is where you come in. I said, sweet, more's coming. I texted our life group or sent a group me message to our life group. This is an incredible blessing to these families. To this family, I need your help. I want to send them as big of a gift card as I can. In less than a day, we had 75, excuse me, in less than a day, we had $750 to send to this family on a DoorDash gift card. You say, Stephen, that's not that big of a deal. That's just one life group that wasn't expecting to give, that wasn't planning to give, that hadn't budgeted to give. They just said, here's a need we can generously share so that we can encourage this family. That's who you are. You seek to serve one another. We are the church who cares. In this community, you're the church that shows up. You're the church that makes your room available. You're the church that puts people ahead of programs, that puts people ahead of policy, that puts people ahead of all the other stuff. Not out of obligation. Listen. Hear me, there is something to giving out of discipline, okay? But not out of guilt or obligation, but out of the generosity of your heart because of the price that Christ paid for you. The early church did that. They met together. They served one another. They shared with each other. That's who we are. We care about each other, studying God's word together, seeing each other, serving each other, sharing with each other. And then we care about celebrating with each other. I love this picture of the text. The Bible says that every day, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and ate together listen with glad and sincere hearts praising god and enjoying the favor of all the people they celebrated what god had done in their heart they celebrated what god had done in their life they celebrated their salvation they celebrated their forgiveness they celebrated having this family of believers they celebrated the god who would send jesus to die on a cross for them they didn't just celebrate the 
the works of God. They celebrated the one who provided the works. They praised him. They had sincere hearts and glad hearts. Listen, we ought to be the place. I beg of you, if you're a guest with us, know that this is a desire of this body here at Buford. I beg of you, if you're a follower of Christ, and especially if you're a follower of Christ, who it's known that you're a part of our church here, you should be the most joyful people in our community. When you walk in the door, people should want to come to you. Because you've always got something to celebrate. I love it when we baptize and this whole place erupts in applause and then I hear scattered throughout the really loud, bold ones who give a woo or a yeah or a shout. People ask, when I say people, I mean my wife and my daughter ask, Stephen, why do you make us clap so much at church? Y'all know now, if I say go ahead and celebrate that, y'all just start clapping. Hope most of y'all weren't even paying attention to what you're celebrating. You just start clapping. Why? Because listen, there is something about followers of Jesus with a smile. And you know what? You know what's funny? When y'all start clapping and I look out, I don't ever see any of y'all clapping like this. For some reason, when I say y'all go ahead and celebrate that and I look out, you know what? Your faces are pleasant, most of them. There's a joy in celebrating the one who deserves all of our praise and celebrating new life in Christ and celebrating the young couple who joined our church family this morning. There's a joy in celebrating what God is doing with gladness and with sincere hearts. Listen, there's great joy in celebrating who God is sending our way. There's joy when I, after church, celebrate the friends who I've known and loved for so long who are now worshiping with us. Listen, there is great joy in celebrating and there is no group of people who have greater reason to celebrate than those who have trusted in Christ and when we celebrate we celebrate out of a care for one another and what God's doing in each other's lives we do it on Sunday mornings in worship we do it in our life groups we do it in our small groups we do it in communication with one another December 30th I got a text from my friend celebrating two years of sobriety and it was great joy to read this text He's not perfect, and he knows sometimes I worry about him. God's done great things in his life, though, and has brought him so far. And not only is he celebrating his sobriety as he texts me, he's celebrating the other people in our church family who God has placed in his life to encourage him along the way. We celebrate together because we care about each other, and we love seeing and lifting up what God is doing in our lives. And then that comes to the final part as we close out this morning. While we care about each other, we care about studying with each other. We care about seeing each other, serving together, sharing with each other, celebrating with each other. We care about showing others. As we share, as we care, as we celebrate, as we gather together, the world sees it. Here's what happened in the early church. It says, every day they continued to break bread, praising God in verse 47. Listen, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. As these 3,000 people met in their smaller congregations in their homes, gathered together in the temple, celebrated what God had done in their 
their lives did, got to be a part of these incredible miracles of life change as they functioned together with great joy and sincere hearts and with gladness. What happened? The world saw it. And because the world saw these people caring for each other, people were added to their number daily. And they found favor even in those who weren't believers. Listen. We believe in evangelism strategies. We believe in teaching you how to share your faith. I believe in having events where we get to share the, the gospel. Where our friend who's a member of our church family now, J.J. Washington is here. He's going to be preaching in January uh, for us in a couple of weeks. And his job is to help encourage churches in evangelism across our state, across the state of Georgia. We believe in all of that. And we believe you've got to go and you've got to open your mouth and you've got to be able to point people to the gospel of Christ Jesus on the ball. Field. You're there for a purpose, not to be the best baseball player, but to share the gospel with people in your classroom, in your work, all of those things we believe. Do you know what the greatest incentive for somebody to come and to hear about the gospel of Christ Jesus is for the local church? It's the way you care for each other. The way you love each other. When people come into our doors, if they see you with smiles on your face, if they see you greeting one another, if they see you caring for one another, if they hear about you taking care of their friend's family who's going through a hard time, if they hear about you showing up at this tragedy and being there just because you love them, if they hear about the way you care for one another, they hear about your small group on a Friday night or Friday morning or Thursday night or a Tuesday morning, they hear about the fact that you've got an account at Chin Chin and you just provide. Uh, coffee for all the people in Buford because that's what you do just to love them and to share with them a cup of coffee they hear about that they hear about you they hear why you do it because you love Jesus because he first loved you and because you're a part of a family here at Buford that loves Jesus and loves our community when they hear those things their ears perk up their hearts become open to the gospel and you begin seeing life change in your neighbors simply because you care your care for others Shows the world what Christ has done in your life. So you're going to hear four other things that we care about over the next several weeks. And it starts with Jesus and our love for him. But when it comes to how we point outwards and how we communicate to the community who we are here at Buford. Listen, in order to do that well, we've got to live the truth. We care about each other, enough to gather, enough to grow in the word of God, enough to serve, to share, to give generously, to celebrate, and to show the world who this incredible group of people is. If you're in the room today and you visited or you're watching online and you've never trusted in Christ... Listen, none of this matters if you don't first acknowledge you're a broken sinner who desperately needs a Savior and that Jesus cares about you so much that he pursued you even to the point of death on a cross. And today, some of you need to become a part of this family by acknowledging your brokenness, your need for a Savior, and giving your life to Jesus. Would you do that? All you've got to do is acknowledge, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Jesus is my Savior who died for me. He defeated death, held the grave, my sin, and came back to life. I want to give my life to him. If that's you, I'd love to talk to you about that. We can have that conversation as worship begins. I'll be standing right down here. We'll also be in the back lobby at the end of the service. We'd love to talk to you about that. Or if you just want to let us know that you want to have that conversation, you can text the word Buford Info to that number 97000, and we'll begin that conversation with you. Because caring for one another starts with trusting in Jesus. For the rest of us, 
Maybe you're like the young couple that was here this morning. You're like, man, I, I need to be a part of this church family officially. I need to join this church. You can text that number or you can just come tell me, I want to join the church. And we'll talk through what that means, what that looks like. Or maybe you're a believer and you need to pray and say, God, help me to care about my church family enough to desire to see them and gather with them. God, help me to be more generous. God, give me joy to celebrate even when my circumstances are are rough. Whatever it is, as we worship together, you be obedient. If you need to text that number, you text that number. You need to come pray, you pray. You need to talk to one of our pastors. You come talk to us. Let's stand together. As we stand, I'm going to pray. We're going to worship. And then you guys are going to be dismissed after we worship. But as we worship, you worship knowing that your celebration of who Jesus is during this time of worship impacts those around you. Knowing that your presence is an encouragement to somebody else. Ask God to give you a heart that cares. Ask God to hold our church up to be a church that cares for each other. We love you, Lord. We thank you for who you are. God, we ask you to help us to be obedient to you in these moments. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope that you have been blessed and challenged by this message. If you have questions, prayer requests, or want to know more about how to follow Jesus, please check us out at fbcbuford.org.